Good morning. This is James Crooks, author of Do They Know It's Christmas Yet? And you are listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'll see you in the future. Too much going for December 20th, 2022. I'm Steve Foder. I'm Hanukkah Harry, Steve. <laughs> He's a mensch on a bench. <laughs> We're just a couple of guys sitting around talking about things that are important to us. Hopefully they're important to you. If you need more information, there's so many great ways to find more information. Yes, Chip. Happy Hanukkah to everybody who celebrates. <laughs> that was John Lovett's character. It's the Santa alternative. <laughs> <laughs> It's a wonderful time of year. Everyone is so happy and and finding our families and being a part of our community. December is is just wonderful. Bells are ringing. Uh, snow is falling. It can't get much better than this. That's right. And a lot of snow is planned for this week, Steve. It's planned. <laughs> Good. I'm glad that Tom Skilling has a plan. Film at 11. Brings us to our film at 11, our movie of the week. Hey, Chip, did you make it to a movie theater this week? I did not go to a theater, but I did see one of the current films that's out. And originally it was designed to be, I mean, up for best pictures, what the, the goal for this picture was to be. You saw Emancipation. This is on Apple TV+. Plus. It is the story of runaway slaves, one of which is going through the swamps of Louisiana trying to find a way to freedom. This is uh, starring Will Smith. This was delayed a number of times. Certainly you had controversy, and they didn't really know how they were going to release this. They knew they wanted to release it to the theater, and once again, the goal was to be in contention for movie of the year. I, I do not think it's going to be movie of the year. I'll go ahead and tell you right now, 70 out of 100. This is a, a very good film. It's certainly an incredibly heavy subject. You know, we're dealing with uh, Louisiana. We're dealing with a guy called Whip Peter. So Will Smith's character is called Peter throughout the entire film. It is semi-true. It's based off a, a Gordon or Whip Peter. You know this picture. Every once in a while, you'll have a, uh, um, I don't know, you'll be in a history book or, or there'll be a, a talk about American history, about slavery. And there's this picture of this man with his back just absolutely carved up um, from just brutally being whipped. This is that character. Mm -hmm. And this is based on the story so there's a lot of truth to it, but then again, there's a lot of liberty taken to make this a movie. What makes this story interesting is Abraham Lincoln on January 1st, 1863, gives us the Emancipation Proclamation. If you are in a slave state, at that point, you are free. And what that really means in reality is you need to get to a free state up north, or you need to get to the Union Army. And at that point, they can secure your freedom. But if you're in the South during the time, it is still in the middle of the Civil War. And um, certainly no person down there is going to um, grant you your freedom. Mm -hmm. And certainly this is a disadvantaged group at that time for any number of reasons. There is a sadistic quality 
to the bad guys in this. Mm. And so that makes it very difficult to watch. Peter ends up escaping, uh, and he's going to, uh, with a, a group of people, he's going to try to get his way to the Union Army. He eventually finds his way there. And what is the first thing they do to you when you get your freedom, Steve? Well, they're going to draft you, mm. and they're going to put you in the uh, military to go fight. Right. And that is certainly... What isn't that kind of an interesting twist mm. that immediately you are forced into service once you get your freedom with almost no pay, not exactly slavery, but uh, a pretty close second. Well, it, it, it is a fascinating story on mm -hmm. this. Certainly as a person who would be a former slave, the idea of liberating everyone certainly would be very high mm -hmm. but you know once again this is a very interesting story will smith is excellent in this film okay. he he truly is an actor he picked a great subject for his skills um i i did when i say enjoyed it it is beautiful cine cinematography okay. um it is black and white the film but just when scenes come up and they require a little bit of color it is this pale color that comes through. In fact, there's a scene towards the end where the military is walking through and all of a sudden you get this hint of sunshine. And that's the whole point. Mm -hmm. um, you get you know, just enough. But there, throughout the movie, there's these uh, glimpses of, 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 of color. In addition to that, um, even if you could escape, um, you are dealing with the elements. You were outside, you were racing through a swamp, there are alligators, there are snakes, there's action that's part of this film. What makes it recommended is because this is a good film okay. and because the subject is important. What makes this really tough to recommend is the subject matter is so heavy. It's and, brutal. Oh, it the, is unbelievable. The brutality of this and and the the word torture we you and i have talked about this many times we don't like to see people suffering and uh, we understand that there's a historical element to this but i finding entertainment in this is difficult for me it is part of american history it is part of if we define american history is having more people experience liberty mm -hmm. certainly that's part of the american um strategy uh or at least you know we, we talk about that so uh it's such an important part of our um mythology is not the word i'm looking for but sort of the the story of america our director antoine fuquay man i, I want to see more of his films okay. because i know that he's going to put together quality stuff and um, i'm so i'm sorry that the controversy surrounding it yeah. but you could rise above it and you see it for what it is, the art piece that it is. And I think you'll find that you're you're going to be satisfied okay. with the the skill set of it. Recommend. That's a great review. I, I again have a hard time with uh, historical conversations about the the brutality of man, uh, but I I understand what this means. It's kind of like watching Schindler's List. You mm -hmm. know, you, you go through it. And you're glad you went through it, but at the same time, it's heavy and it just weighs on you. Yep. 
agreed i i did watch schindler's list one time and and getting the the sense of the storytelling around that brutality yes wonderful storytelling awful brutality and on a lighter note steve let's move to what you saw this week I love I love your segues from you watched this this movie that is so important to I watched Mystery Science Theater 3000. <laughs> the Christmas Dragon, Steve. What a the shot. Christmas Dragon. Yes, the 2014 schlock film The Christmas Dragon was featured as the holiday hit of Mystery Science Theater 3000 this year. This is the season finale. Season 13 of Mystery Science Theater is now in the books. We have a complete collection of movies that just make me smile, sometimes laughing at them and sometimes laughing with them. This one is the story of a group of orphans who go on a journey to restore the lost magic and save christmas i kid you not (laughs) what 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 can a dragon do steve well the dragon becomes the vehicle by which father christmas delivers the toys so there is a (laughs) so you know in in the tolkien lore (laughs) this is just this is continuation of that story, Steve. So there is a riff where they attach the sleigh to the dragon, and Emily says, oh, look, they slayed the dragon. Oh, my goodness. It's comedy, too, Steve. That's pretty funny. That is laugh out loud funny. Uh, the, the rest of this episode, this is the three riffer edition of Mystery Science Theater 3000, where Joel, Jonah, and Emily all get together in the theater to watch this movie together. Six robots are featured in this. All the puppeteers and all of the voices are featured in this season finale. And there's a cliffhanger ending to the storyline of Mystery Science Theater at the end here where they are traveling back in time shocker they're traveling back in time to 1991 and hopefully they have a huge plan for season 14 but boy oh boy am i waiting with bated breath for joel and and company to tell us about season 14 coming in 2023 they'll they'll need quite the um uh the budget to be able to pull that off steve they will probably need some more money from another Kickstarter to make that happen for sure. I look forward to sending them more money for season 14. I've enjoyed this season so much. I've enjoyed the storytelling. Yes, it is a, a very uh, simple filmmaking procedure that they have been using for this season it's all green screen they filmed it all together under covid conditions but now hopefully covid conditions have changed enough where they can they can expand out what they're doing and speaking of interesting covid conditions steve as we have was it rsv and uh, flu and covid out there right now hey we've got holiday movies opening that kind of open at different times during this week because of where the holiday is is scheduled. Yeah, it, Christmas is uh, uh, on a very awkward schedule this year for sure. And I don't know about you, but going to the movie theater used to be a big part of our holiday tradition. And I don't really think that that's going to be uh, a part of our 2022. They're going to try to bring us there, Steve. And let's start off with this first movie, Babylon. 
Yes, a Hollywood movie about Hollywood. Uh, Hollywood loves making Hollywood movies about Hollywood. <laughs> this is the tale of outsized ambition and outrageous excess. There you go, Babylon 2022. That was with Brad Pitt. Yeah, Brad Pitt. Multiple characters, unbridled decadence, and depravity. I have no interest in, in more Hollywood movies about Hollywood, Chip. Well, this looks like it's going to be a big film. And if you don't like that, maybe you can go and learn a little bit about our favorite singer. Yeah, there is a dramatization of the life of Whitney Houston coming this week. It's called I Want to Dance with Somebody. The the tragic story of Whitney Houston and all of the amazing pieces of her musical stardom. Steve, if that's not enough for you, what we need is, you know, that really thoughtful movie. It always comes out right around Christmas. Uh, this one uh, about faith and about isolated religious communities grappling with brutal realities. This one's called Women Talking. Steve, let's lighten this up a little bit. Bring us a little Antonio Banderas. Antonio Banderas, rich Corinthian leather. No, that's that's not Antonio Banderas. That's, that's Ricardo Montalban, <laughs> Steve. That is Khan. Khan! There is a sequel coming this week for the kids. This one is Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, the sequel to the Puss in Boots movie that came out in 2011, 11 years ago, Chip. And why not? Well, the kids love the characters from Shrek. This is, remember, Puss in Boots was a character in Shrek 2 in 2004, which was a sequel to Shrek from 2001. So this series of movies has gone on for two decades. Well, there you go. Antonio Banderas is Puss in Boots and Selma Hayek is in this one. I, I, I look forward to hearing from my students about how wonderful this movie is. They love Shrek. They, they love this series of storytelling. Brings it to our book it, our book of the week. It is the end of the month and it's time to celebrate, Chip. It's the holiday season, Steve. Happy Hanukkah, everybody. Shoop de doop. <laughs> Shoop de doop. That's what they say nowadays. That's what the kids are saying. Shoot to And bippity bop, Steve. <laughs> we, we have a gift for everybody for the end of the month. Pam Bedore is here to discuss our holiday special book of 2022. Good morning, Pam. Hey, good morning, guys. Great to see you. Great to see you. We chose a book about Christmas this month. Just as I was hoping you would. You know what? What we were hoping for is that that fifth um, Dickens uh, story. <laughs> Just we had to get through that one one day. <laughs> oh, we're completists. Well, not really. <laughs> we need more crickets in our lives. What we, need, <laughs> what we need is to go to England and find a book to replace the Dickens one. That's right. Our book of the month is Do They Know It's Christmas Yet by James Crooks. He joined us for a, a preview interview at the beginning of the month. And boy, oh boy, we had fun discussing the idea of music and pop culture in our lives with James. 
Well, and I enjoyed that interview so much. That was, he was a fantastic interview and you could tell he was a radio guy. He was so good. And yeah, it was really interesting to hear that sort of British approach to the music of the eighties. Certainly very different, maybe from the American. We, we get some crossover, but even in this book, we're going to get some, uh, I don't know, pop artists that, uh, you know, we're like, I don't know who this is. It's interesting for me, though, growing up in Canada, because in Canadian radio, uh, the I'm not sure what it's called, but there's a, there's an organization in Canada that manages radio. So 50 percent has to be Canadian content. And what Canadian content means is actually not American. So British counts as Canadian content. <laughs> Australian counts as Canadian content. It's just Canada has this real anxiety about the sort of hegemonic influence of American culture. And so all of those, all of those things were familiar to me growing up not all that far away from you guys because we have so much British content and Canadian radio. And what do we know about Canadian radio? It's the kindest radio in the world. <laughs> and the coldest. Don't forget the coldest. And the Cold coldest. And kind. We just covered Canada. <laughs> so in this book, James Crooks gives us this story of time travel. We've got a brother and sister, Jamie and Tash, who are visiting their grandmother's home for Christmas when they discovered that their grandfather invented a time machine. And they enter Tash's birth date in the computer and travel back to 1984, where immediately they cause a traffic accident that hospitalizes Bob Geldof. Bob Geldof, you might be familiar with that name. He was the guy that decided to make Band Aid, where he brought together a bunch of British rock stars to raise money to help the people of Ethiopia. So here's the what if that James gives us here is what if Bob Geldof was in the hospital and never saw that one special news at six o'clock that night and never got the idea for Band Aid? And there's our first clue right there is that most Americans don't know who Bob Geldof is. Young people certainly wouldn't. Um, they may know this song, this Band-Aid song, just a bunch of singers that comes on, I don't know, every hour, on the hour here in the United States. It is one of the 15 songs that are played on the incessant Christmas stations, for <laughs> sure. And it it's a song, it's a it's a fine song. It, it's a good sentiment of a song. And, and he built a whole very farcical story around this concept in this book. So this book is very funny. And as he said in the interview with you, it's comedy, not time travel. Yes. Right? And that's, that's certainly the case. But you guys, I was so curious about it is it's very comedic it's silly it's fun it's christmas etc but there are some really dark things happening in this novel and in between it's, it's british it's british <laughs> you know it's going to be dark <laughs> there is no doubt that there is a cultural piece to this that this is a british pop culture story this is not an american pop culture story and yes some of those themes of of british life are are brought to the forefront here what do we know about american uh hollywood endings i mean everything's tied up in a bow everybody is in perfect shape it's the best it's ever been yeah in the british world they, i don't know how realist they are but they certainly are realist <laughs> please uh, can i have some more 
<laughs> Good afternoon. Good afternoon. <laughs> but you guys, what about the fact that when we're doing spoilers, right? Oh, yeah. Sure. This is, yeah absolutely. So when, okay. So when Jamie and Tosh go back in time, they're going to Tasha's birthday because her dad was like, oh, I wish I could go to Tasha's birthday I because I wasn't at the hospital when she was born. And then they find out he's having an affair. I mean, that's a really crazy thing to find out about your dad was having an affair while your mom was giving birth to you and to find it out 36 years later. And how do you even process that? And I think like at that moment, I was like, Ooh, this is so fascinating. <laughs> that was the moment because I think that, that the author really telegraphed that in the intro of that concept. Uh-huh. I think, I think that it was, this is definitely a first book for James and I think that that was really strongly telegraphed in that don't disagree but <laughs> what I found super interesting is that Tosh was like freaking out and Jamie said but this is the moment he wanted to change mm-hmm. and then they never talked about it again <laughs> and so I thought like to me I was like "Ooh, that's so interesting what are they going to do now but then that got dropped which is appropriate within the framework of the text, but it was like this interesting thread that I would have loved to like pull on a little bit. Well, that's where the ghost of Christmas past was, you know, <laughs> showing. That's the time travel. That is the How purpose of time was. travel. The purpose of time travel is you have this regret and you go back and you fix it. We do have a, a thread at the end of this story where grandpa has a thread of a regret that he went back and fixed and we're not told what that is in this story theoretically we're told that in the next book so we'll have to keep Ooh. reading to find out what it was that's the nostalgia piece tied with that sense that i wish i could have done and and that's time travel stories but there's sort of two ways to fix quote unquote what Jamie's father did, what Jamie and Tasha's father did. And one way is to time travel back and prevent him from doing it. But the other way is that in 2020, ethical non-monogamy is a far more common relationship structure for lots and lots of people. And so especially among 25 year olds, because well, exactly. He's a 25 year old handsome man in a situation and he regrets his choice, but he made a choice. But 25 year olds in 2020 may or may not regret that choice. I mean, we're just living in a different time. So I think that that is why, like, to me, that was a really interesting moment. Now, the idea that Tosh had this had a twin who died in childbirth, I don't know what that was doing. And, that and was certainly part of the darkness. Sure. There, there is there is some very frightening dark pieces to this story. And yes, a twin that died in childbirth is something, but the way that that story was told, we didn't actually see a second child. So my guess, spoilers, is that this moment is what grandpa was 
trying to help out with as well. And there's going to be even more tangles of time in our time travel tale going forward. I didn't realize this was a book one. So I just thought it's that's such an odd thing to do. And I don't know what is happening with that. Whereas I was able Mm -hmm. to read the affair more sort of like, oh, that's so interesting. It makes me think many things. But the dead twin, I was like, what does that mean? Does like Tosh have this piece that she feels is missing? You know, whatever. Because because they named the the passed away child. They named the passed away child Tash in the course of the story. The second child is never actually in the story. And and if you bring in the ending to that, it kind of ties it up a little bit too. Mm-hmm. That that we, we've got mo listen, it's the Spider-Verse, Steve. I think James is certainly laying out a, a really interesting universe where he is going to be able to examine all of those ideas. And there are three books in this. Okay. Series. I didn't realize that. All right. And he says that the third book is much more farcical than this one. <laughs> and, and in reading this first book, I'm thinking more, it's more farcical than this. This is Benny Hill at some points. Well, I, that's right. You had that song going on the entire time, didn't you? In the, in the hospital, mostly. Mostly in the <laughs> hospital when they're running around. There's so much running around in this book. Everything is sped up really fast as they run around. Sometimes, yes. <laughs> Pam, you mentioned the fact that this frame story actually takes place in 2020. There is a very interesting part to this that is that pandemic, what we were examining in 2020. And James wrote this in 2020, in the middle of that feeling of the pandemic. And, you know, it's interesting because until I heard you guys interviewing him, I hadn't thought deeply about how important the song is. The 1984, October 1984, and his focus on that. Because, of course, as an apocalyptic scholar, when I have someone time traveling to 1984, I think of George Orwell. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he's doing this. So... So there's maybe not intentionality to the year, but personally, as I was reading this novel without that frame, I was thinking 1984 is in popular parlance, like that's this moment of big brother, of surveillance, it's George Orwell's vision of an apocalyptic dystopian future that we could be moving towards, and 2020 is an actual pandemic. With a lot of surveillance. Exactly. Especially if you're in China. Or England, because London is covered in cameras. That has been an issue in London for quite a few years now. Wow. That's an interesting, that's that's fascinating. Uh Uh-huh. And, you know, when you think about dystopian literature, your two big dystopian novels, both British from the early 20th century, are, of course, George Orwell's Um, 1984 from 1948, but then also Aldous Huxley's Brave New World from 1932. And in Brave New World, the dystopia is something that people buy into because they think it's amazing. Mm -hmm. And in 1984, there's a sort of totalitarian, people are forced into the surveillance state. And a lot of people think that 2020 brings those two things together <laughs> so two great have... <laughs> tastes that taste great together <laughs> welcome to 2020 <laughs> but we have we have bought into our own surveillance uh-huh. right and so 
And then you're as private as your phone is. Uh, huh? <laughs> exactly. Wherever it is, you happen to be. How many cameras <laughs> do you have in your home? Uh -huh. right. <laughs> as we are conversing this morning with our cameras on. We, sh we should probably <laughs> ask Alexa that. <laughs> so, but, but I mean, so to me, I just, I really love this return to 1984 not realizing, not having that music background to realize, of course, that's exactly when he had to return to use the song he wanted to use, because there's this wonderful additional piece of like dystopian lore that goes with that year. And music is certainly the centerpiece of this story. It, it is the thing that everything revolves around is music. And, and we, we know from talking to James that he is a DJ on the radio in England, and his focus is on that music and pop culture. Boy, oh boy, 1984 was a big year in pop culture for me, and I think it was for James as well. And, and boy, oh boy, uh, this story is heavily influenced by back to the future isn't it <laughs> you think <laughs> yeah. it's kind of like rick and morty steve yes yes it is kind of kind of an influential time 1984 1985 <laughs> and rick and morty being that other story that is basically uh back to the future only different and, and let's come back to this real quick because i'm going to add something to it it's 1984 reagan is the president of the united states mm -hmm. uh thatcher is in in england we're coming off the 70s which had a really deep recession we're, we're almost yuppie time wall street uh, the movie is coming out there's mm -hmm. a lot to throw in that period of time and then the uh the idea of music having a new sound too. This is the new way, post-punk, post-glam type of, of time. So we're, we're, we're starting to get the new rebels, but are they really rebels? I mean, what do we have? The police, you know, and, and Duran Duran. These guys just want to become big bands. Weird Al in 3D was released in 1984. I just wanted to make sure that Pam mentioned the Utopia dystopia, Chip mentioned financials, and I mentioned Weird Al. <laughs> well, we get, we get all three Done. of those. We are on brand. <laughs> so, so let's go forward. <laughs> no, but I actually think so. It's so interesting to go back to the music of your childhood, right? Mm -hmm. Or of your youth. But I think this is a real nostalgic moment for the 80s. I mean, you think of like Ready Player One, which is this total mm -hmm. nostalgic novel and film. But I guess... I was kind of, as we were talking, to, as you guys were talking to James, um, it struck me that he was saying, you know, there's there's such a space for nostalgia, but it's super important to also be listening to new music and to be keeping an open mind. And that was one of the things that I found really so charming about him was this sort of the way that he's he's critiquing our current moment and our reliance on technology, but in the gentlest possible way. It could have been a real moment where they go, oh, we don't know how to go places. We don't have our iPhones. Yeah, it, it, and he did not do that. It's almost as if he was Canadian. <laughs> very nice. He's a very nice British man. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny because lately I have been listening to a lot of sampled music of the 80s but like re re-sampled in like you know 
today. So like mm. I've been on my workout mix, I got uh, girl talk as this new sort of favorite thing that's taking eighties and nineties songs, but then uh, sampling them. And I love listening to snippets of things that I know, but in a hip hop context, mm. um, but I, Steve, I that's not for I you. I don't is enjoy it? that. When, when, when the song starts with the monsters theme, I then want to listen to the monsters theme, not to whatever is, is that Taylor Swift or uh, Ariana Grande no. or uh, somebody is yes. sampling the monsters theme. And I'm like, who is this person? See, that's I, interesting. I love that. That's one of my favorite genres is like just the sort of rethinking. And, and you know what? In literature, I love postmodern literature that takes these sort of themes from the past. I mean, I love the Sherlock Holmes pastiches. <laughs> so well, it's such a personal preference. There, there's two parts to that. One, the sampling. Certainly you can make something fresh. And, you know, there was a lot of experimentation in the 70s synthesizer was was just becoming an instrument and they still were playing around with the songs if you listen to a lot of the songs from the early 80s and so they were very uh sparse i mean think mm -hmm. of craft work and stuff like that and they really didn't have a bigger sound until later on where people started to really explore beyond the beginning part of that you have hip-hop which certainly could take samples of, of any of that and make a, a modern song to it. We also look at like postmodern uh, jukebox, which takes pop songs and they use different styles of music to represent something. Mm -hmm. So there's an idea of presenting something that maybe you know the lyrics to, or you know you like the sentiment of the song. When I'm listening to music of my youth, I'm kind of going back to that time and I'm experiencing it as a young person would experience it. It's very hard to because, you know, we move as life marches on for us, not that things become more complicated, but our interests change, our thoughts and things uh, change. James brought up that idea that, um, you know, your, your band was your, your, your favorite uh, sports team or whatever it was. Well, you're, you're older now. You, you can jump into and feel some of these vibe because this is a, you know, a jazz album and go figure out that this is the time to listen to the orchestra and this is the time to go listen to the hip hop album. Mm -hmm. And then you throw in your children and all that other stuff. It kind of, you, you have no choice. <laughs> One thing I thought was really interesting though about that sort of the music landscape and how the music landscape has changed that he was talking about is that, you know, in 1984, you just had three TV stations. And so <laughs> everyone was consuming the same content. And mm -hmm. today it's actually hard to find people who are consuming the same content as you because there's so much to choose from. But in a way that makes it more special when you do find those people consuming the same content. Agreed. That's finding right? your tribe. I mean, Steve watches Mystery Science Theater mm -hmm. 3000 with this, you know, I don't know, this community. Community that's small—it's mm -hmm. it's a you know, enormous community, <laughs> of course. Steve. But yeah, you know, for the majority of people, they may not uh, be part of that enormous community, Steve. <laughs> but for that, but that's the whole point: is that if you can find your tribe, you can really pinpoint who is your market, who does this appeal to. And you can 
and not only explore it, explore it, but really blossom in success. it. You can find success knowing your audience. Knowing your audience is important. What I see in the classroom is kids not having that common context of all of the pop culture of each of their experiences and what they need to do is experience it together first to discuss it they can't they don't have the shorthand that we have for certain things because of their diverse availability of all of that culture they have to sit and watch it together first then they can have that context with each other which is very different from what we experienced do, do you remember having that conversation with the um he, he was a dean um maybe of a, the, the engineering college in milwaukee yes. and and basically he said when the kids came in he goes hey you're part of my doctor who watch group and my game group Mm-hmm. And, um, well, they all come in, some, many of them leave, but for those who do not have that tribe, that group of people to hang out with, it was a place to build. Mm-hmm. And, and those kids were the ones who, you know, wrote games and, and learned a common language to communicate with each other and, you know, can, can wink with each other, kind of like the, the Harry Potter people, or I don't know, I don't know, you've heard about Star Wars. Some people talk Star, Star Wars. Wars, Chip, Star Wars. <laughs> Absolutely. That that is that is my pop culture. My pop culture is finding those people that know what I'm talking about and and admire the work that went into that pop culture, no matter how silly it is, no matter how stupid it is. And and, and I mean, for universities, this is really important for them because they want. I mean, they're there to learn, blah blah blah. But they they also are customers. They they want them to stay and have good experiences and leave feeling good about the time they spent along with growing and learning and all those other things that are very important. Ship just yada yada education. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some, some people have a way of words and other people just fumble all over themselves, Steve. That's my job. <laughs> so one of the things about these characters is Jamie is a neurodivergent person. He is on the autism spectrum and he has dyspraxia, which is a a medical thing that we now know about because of Dr. Who. And (laughs) he has uh, some real challenges in this. And it's not leaned into in James's work, but there's certainly something to that, uh, that analysis of what, 2020 brings to our neurodivergent population what what is dyspraxia steve it's an inability to balance well he might fall down more often than than the average person he's not able to drive a car uh we see some of some of his dyspraxia coming in in the story but not a lot it's not a big part of the story okay and it's interesting that he specializes in bicycles so mm-hmm. for someone who can't balance well, that's an interesting career choice. I believe that that is a, a conscious choice on a person who has dyspraxia to try to manage to make that happen. In the Doctor Who episode where we meet the dyspraxia uh, character, that's where we meet him is trying to learn to ride a bike. That is the ah. first scene. As a matter of fact, I know Jamie didn't know that when he wrote this story. <laughs> well, I, I was going to ask if this story was written 15 years ago. 
we that, would not but, know but, about dyspraxia. Yeah, and that that wouldn't probably be part of the story, would it? That's certainly a a modern um, trope is not the possible word, but a modern addition to a story. And we know so much more about neurodivergence at this point in 2022 as well. Uh, I, you know, I think back to some of the not so kind ways that that neurodivergence has been treated over the years. And, and this is a very kind story for Jamie. And using the term neurodivergent instead of disability, right? I mean, this has been an enormous shift in just the past five or 10 years that really, really changes how we think about, you know, something like ADHD, which was just starting to be diagnosed when in the eighties, when, when we were, well, not that had been diagnosed for a little while, but was starting to become a diagnosis that people would know in common parlance. It was very much considered a a disability. Mm -hmm. You weren't able to focus. But then as we've done more research in evolutionary biology, we realize that like, no, you have a different way of focusing that's actually super beneficial to the group. And so if you were around a campfire, you would want to have someone with ADHD who's more tuned into the surroundings while everyone's telling stories at night um, Mm -hmm. so that you know what predators are around. So, So, you know, we have these different ways of thinking of different ways of thinking, right? And different and, vocabulary. And, and Steve, just so that you can understand this, that means we all don't have to be part of the Borg. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Good. Thank you. Thank you for putting it into vocabulary that I can understand. But I, but I liked that when, um, when Jamie's neurodivergence was brought up, it was like in the eighties, people just didn't know the terms and that's true. And it's a great reminder for kids today. If they're reading this story that, you know, yeah, these, these terms that our middle school kids are so familiar with, were not in fact familiar to us at that age. Well, just think about how far we've grown from 84 to today, as far as identifying people with different ways of, I don't know, experiencing reality, but and, and maybe it's a much kinder way, but still there's, we haven't figured out the, the best way of working with them. There's this group of people, they still feel maybe outside mm-hmm. and still are struggling to find their their spot and, and how, I guess, people who are aware of this can deal with them best as far as working with, with their way of viewing reality. Mm-hmm. And not to jump to the end too early, but I was intrigued that Jamie decided to stay. So you didn't think that was telegraphed as well. It was totally telegraphed, (laughs) but (laughs) it was absolutely telegraphed. However, it's something to consider. Like would a neurodivergent person with a diagnosis who has a support system, you know, I mean, they're giving up a lot Mm -hmm. to return to a time when people simply don't know how to understand them. But they can invest in in Microsoft and Apple and Google at the beginning. Uh (laughs) Hot tub time machine. He can can create Google. He can be the one who creates all those things, sings all those songs. And the power of love, right? I mean, you have to have like a strong romance and a Christmas movie. And and that is the support system, right? That is the support system that that so many people find that love, that relationship where, where my spouse and I understand each other and we can work together regardless of how we work, we work together. And, And I saw that happening for Jamie there. How about Tash and her 
motherhood in this story there is some uh some some dark pieces of thinking where tash keeps leaving her baby in in situations where um she shouldn't well steve i just want to make sure i'm clear on this as a member of the last key uh, uh generation <laughs> i'm very familiar with this <laughs> yes, there is certainly that cultural statement about the 1980s here and how how the the parents of of a certain generation might not have uh, been as careful with their kids as I don't know certain uh, latchkey kids who grew up to be adults might be. Hey, the Kool-Aid's got red dye in it. Don't worry about it. How many cameras are in the house? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think it's interesting, though, that I'm not quite sure how to read Tosh. Like, why did she have such a potty mouth? That was very weird to me. I didn't I, know what to make of that. British. I I agree with you. <laughs> well, I, everyone British. in the story is British, so I don't know. Good yeah, afternoon. Except for Martha. But no, no, no. It's just much more of a... Boy, boy, I'm, as I paint a brush that will be thrown back at me. <laughs> It will there's be, much, yes. there's it will much be more, as you speak. There's much more of a casual use of swear words uh, in part of the you know the conversation. Um, but it's so overwhelming at some points in the writing. There, there, there was several moments where I was like, if if she had just chosen other words, this might be an interesting young adult novel. I can't teach this in school. Is is my point? My point is my my students really can't read this book in school correct correct and 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 yes you're and I absolutely correct. Point. i don't know what the point of that is in her personality profile well and i didn't and it was interesting because you know single moms in the 21st century we are starting to really really recognize how much they need more support right mm -hmm. how they are super overwhelmed you know, she's a professor of finance. She has work-life balance struggles, right? And she's really, really struggling to be a mom with this baby who needs an enormous amount of her time and attention. And she's also trying to do a million other things. And so there's this, there's this element of the portrayal where she has like forgotten her child on a bus or whatever. But then we also know that when she's in the eighties, the only thing she wants is to get back to her baby. She misses her baby so much. She's truly a super loving mom, mm -hmm. but she's unable to always manage the hustle and bustle of 21st century motherhood, especially single motherhood. So it's an interesting portrayal. But five months later, the baby doesn't have a name. Right. That's, that's a, that's a weird writing I, I don't know what that means for the story it's like bill cosby had a skit where he didn't know his name except for his father had a name for him <laughs> thanks for bringing up bill cosby in that conversation. <laughs> it's really helpful and, and old skits Steve. in 1984 bill cosby was very popular and very funny and he was america's dad very beloved i would even say <laughs> maybe things have changed in the future i don't know things have changed but i think the naming of the baby is really interesting because of course when you give someone a name you are setting their 
identity to a degree. And we in 2020 are living at a time when many of our teenagers are choosing to rename themselves, right? They're choosing different names. I find it very funny. My high schooler is constantly coming home and talking about someone. I'm like, oh, wait you've never mentioned that person before. And they say, oh no, they changed their name. That's actually so-and-so. And so, (laughs) so so I guess I actually, I wasn't bothered by the fact she didn't have a name. She just hadn't met the person that she wanted to name her baby after yet. Mm -hmm. Right. And names are so important that that is a part of your identity and, and getting to choose your own name and choose your own identity and be that mature person that decides this is who I am is so wonderful. And I, I'm so glad that we can do that in 2020. But the, the family is so frustrated that they don't know what to call this kid. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> that thing. That, that person that child is calling you child baby. called it yeah yeah <laughs> but she didn't know that you could buy a title if you just uh you know send in some money and they'll send you a certificate you'll own a one by one plot in uh, scotland <laughs> lord child <laughs> this is such a farcical story there's so much happening there's so many things going on so many kidnappings what what do you make of a story like this pam well it's an episodic story so this is a very very popular genre certainly many of the dime novels from the 19th century are our very first set of really popular texts penny dreadfuls in the uk dime novels in the u.s I mean, this was a very, very winning formula for early popular culture. So there's a certain throwback to that very, very episodic piece where there is an arc to the whole novel, but each of the, there's episodes. I mean, could you make this into like a TV show? Yes. I think so. We, we saw 8-Bit Christmas on, I don't know, was that on HBO or was that on um, Netflix? But anyway, it was it was a book that was different, but certainly a holiday type book. Yeah, I, I think that we could find the 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 joy in this. The one thing that, that we talked to James about that I was surprised about is that this Christmas story doesn't take place at Christmas. Right. The fact that it's October <laughs> and, and there's almost no Christmas theme to it is, is something. But well, James also noted that in the U.S., and I mean, or maybe Chip noted, in the U.S., Christmas basically starts like, November 1st, it is full, full bore Christmas. And really October, it's already on people's mind. And is there sort of a, is there some humor in that as well, that we spend about one quarter of the year in some sort of Christmas focus? That's my joke that I I like to point out is, and it's it's an Easter Beagle, Charlie Brown, Mm -hmm. the Easter Charlie Brown special. They go to the department store and it's the pre, 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 pre Christmas sale. So it's not a new concept, but yeah, a very American concept, I think. I think so. And, and we should should mention on that, if if this was going to be a movie, while the original Bob Geldof news story that happened that prompted the writing of Do They Know It's Christmas, yeah, you know, we would move that up to like December 1st, there'd be snow on the ground, they'd be putting Christmas uh, decorations yeah. on town square. I mean... 
you would not the money or the the developer will take the the community center well exactly and you got to get the song (laughs) done printed released and number one by you know by by december 25th that's right that's that's very american of you (laughs) and maybe you'll have like some breakdancing to make it a little more exciting but the scenes in the hospital were very funny and the kidnappings were very funny. And people kept saying, how many times are we going to get kidnapped in this one day? This is insanity. And there was also some, I thought, like pretty like caustic critique of uh, American gun violence, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> There's guns <And> everywhere. <laughs> that's, that's very British. That is very British. We get that in a lot yeah. of British literature at, mm-hmm. at this time. Yes, that is a that is a uh, a stereotype of America. It's a stereotype by thunder. <laughs> yes, by thunder. That there's a callback that, that a lot of people will have to go back to two years ago and listen to sandwiches at regular hours to get that joke. <laughs> he's, Amer- he's American. That's 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 how they curse here. <laughs> there, there's also, uh, and I I found this fascinating. There's a there's a time issue in this story where this story takes place in a very 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 short amount of time and it includes a moment where James has decided that he is going to write into this tale that these people need to relieve themselves. There's a big scene in this in this story where they all have to relieve themselves and I'm like, "Yes, that's how this would really work. They they can't run around for what 80 hours?" without eating or going to the bathroom no you go back you're right you gotta eat you gotta you gotta use the restroom steve or or is it the water room i don't know what it is water closet water closet i think is what you're thinking right I found it very interesting that he included that. That is something in science fiction that that we talk about often. Is like what what is the process? Where where does this work? Uh, <laughs> Douglas Adams wrote in the middle of uh, like the fifth story of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You know, I've not gone to the bathroom since this adventure started. <laughs> See, heroes don't use the restroom. Exactly, it is not a part of the the storytelling. I found fascinating that James put into this story of time travel that one moment in time that we all panicked about the millennium bug, the Y2K, because the computer that they're using is from the 1980s and it only has two digits to the year. So they can't go back to 2020 because every time they type 20, they go to 1920. And then we get a whole interesting, uh, whole Oh boy, back to the future where there's a certain uh, rich person who just left our story and becomes the benefactor uh, later, but earlier in the story. See, I'm just going to say that no young person knows what you're talking about at all. Well, uh, Back to the Future certainly was a cultural moment for us in 1984. No, I'm talking about Y2K. I mean, they they weren't born. It's, it's, it's way past for a seven or eight year old 
Well, let me explain then for the seven and eight year olds that are still listening to this podcast, there was a, a glitch in our programming in the beginning of computers in the seventies and eighties, where we programmed two digits into computers for the year. When we switched to the year 2000, we then needed to think about four digits because typing in two digits wouldn't necessarily bring us to the, the year that we were thinking of. If it would, 2001 and we only had two digits the computer would think that it was 1901 and i really liked that element of the story it, it created like a nice wrinkle and there was really only one way to solve it <laughs> because i think that like jamie and tosh just didn't have the coding expertise to fix the machine so they had to find someone who did not just coding, but hardware. Grandpa in the past uses an iPhone to be the computer that allows Jamie and Tash to travel to different millennia. Don't, don't, don't. But also make sure, let's see, 1984. Are we using the big floppy disk at that time? No, no, or no. We, you were using cassettes. Correct. That was that was one of my favorite parts of this was in this vehicle, there's a cassette deck and they're like, oh, we can listen to music. No, no, no. That cassette deck was the medium for recording the program for this computer. And, and kids have no idea what a cassette is either. So uh, <laughs> it's so similar to Time Chasers from 1994, isn't it? They find this vehicle, they tie this old, crummy Commodore 64 level computer, the Sinclair Spectrum, to this vehicle. And, and all I was thinking was, was Time Chasers. It does draw upon so many other texts. I mean, it's very unique and innovative, but it also pulls conventions from all over the place including a criticism of Doctor Who. Thanks, James. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Who is referenced in here as a fictional nonsense. The characters say the Doctor is a time lord, not a time traveler. That's Jamie's line. And Tash replies, yeah, how's the girlfriend situation coming along? Like, you know what, James? I would say it's one of the most brilliant commentaries I have ever read. <laughs> there are stereotypes and there are stereotypes. My wife will attest. <laughs> we do get to an ending in this story, right, Pam? <laughs> we do. Although it's perhaps the beginning of the next novel. But, uh -huh. um, but I actually, I thought it was interesting that Jamie chose to stay in the past. Totally telegraphed. As soon as Jamie tells us that as soon as Jamie sees Martha, the American, you pretty much know yeah. that where that's going. And she's either going to come forward or he's going to go back. So that is determined. But I do like that Jamie brings this, this note, this letter to, um, to his sister and says, you don't have to come. You don't have to come back. And I think because we're in Tasha's perspective on Christmas morning and she knows she only has to go back to the future or back to the future. Uh -huh, <laughs> she only uh -huh. has to go back to 1984 for a few minutes to pick up her brother, but she's terrified of leaving her baby. Right. And this experience more than all of the struggles of single motherhood and work-life balance has taught her, like she really doesn't like to leave her baby for that long. She's really freaked out. She doesn't want to do it. And then she gets her Christmas present is this note that says, you don't have to, right? I'm going to be okay. 
and then it has his current phone number on it. So there's something that's always a really satisfying part of time travel to me when someone gets out of the timeline and then the older them meets the younger. So now Jamie is 30 years old. I don't know. I love that. Well, mm-hmm. And very and, back and, to the future. And a, oh, yeah. another way of thinking about it is that by preserving the Do They Know It's Christmas song, and uh, it's $243 million that, were, that was mm-hmm. raised, um, and counting, I guess, to go towards um, the starving uh, people of Africa at the time. So mm-hmm. that's a yep. lot of good right there. A couple of little things. This, this story is full of little moments. And, and I laughed out loud at several of the little moments. I love the moment in the story in 2020 where the doorbell rings on Christmas in a pandemic. And everybody in the house was like, what do we do? The doorbell's ringing. <laughs> we, don't know. we don't know what to do with the doorbell. Every time a doorbell rings, an angel gets its wings. <laughs> and and the epilogue i love the epilogue where where they have this moment where they go boris becker boris becker is somebody that you should bet on for tennis because he's gonna make you a lot of money ironically boris becker was released from uk prison this week and he returned to germany and i i thought that that piece That's of great. irony was, was what timing what timing steve I immediately sent a message to James on Twitter and like, hey, look, Boris Becker, Boris Becker. I read your book. Look at me. (laughs) Pam, thank you so much for joining us and talking about this interesting, fun, silly British book. And thank you so much for having me. I don't, I wouldn't read any Christmas fiction without you guys. Thank you. (laughs) Steve wouldn't either. (laughs) Happy Hanukkah, everyone. Happy (laughs) (laughs) wonderful thank you so much we will see you back here in uh the year 2023 the future pam wow can't wait scroll with it Brings us to our scroll with it. There's plenty of things happening in the world. Let's talk about almost none of them. What is happening in the uh, the aquatic world, Chip? Well, Steve, certainly if you were staying at a hotel in Berlin, it certainly got exciting. Oh, boy. There was this huge aquarium in the middle of this hotel in Berlin, 50 foot high, 264,000 gallon cylindrical tank in this hotel, and it collapsed this week. For our international listeners, Steve, what is that in uh, liters? <laughs> let, me, let me do that. Let me do my German conversion real quick. That's a lot of water. So, in fact, it hit the streets because there was so much water. You could go scuba diving in this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was so big. And they were able to save some of the fish because it went down into the basement into, I don't know, some kind of holding tank for some of them. But, I mean, this was incredible. They still don't know how it cracked, but this was a centerpiece. I mean, think of a hotel and maybe a cylinder going up five or six stories. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. I, I've often thought about the the tensile strength of some of those water-containing pieces, the aquariums that have these huge tanks. The amount of 
hold that they have to build into that structure. Uh, this is a pretty devastating loss to the fish world. Exactly. But, you know, there was a sale on fish and chips. And uh, anyway, they got rid of it. Free sushi. <laughs> terrible we're terrible people <laughs> 2022 is coming to an end uh all of the year end activities are coming up we've got our favorites of the year 2022 coming next week december 27th we would love to hear your favorites what was your favorite movie book and news story of 2022 send us an email tell us all about your year 2022 I don't know, Chip. I think we have enough information to survive another week. What do you think? Only if we come back next week, Steve. Yeah, it's going to be a challenging week. It is going to be a long week, my friend. Christmas is coming. The goose is getting fat. Please to put the penny in the old man's hat. <laughs> Give us a call or a text. Our phone number is 805-4104-TMS. Our website is too much scrolling.com. Our email is too much scrolling at gmail.com. We're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook still. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and YouTube. And you can always ask your smart speaker to play the latest episode of Too Much Scrolling. I want to thank you again for listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'm Steve Fodor. I'm Hanukkah Harry. We'll see you in the future. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon.